At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombek here, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode on Legacy Leader Show. Today, I have somebody very, very special joining me from Bay Area that I absolutely love and admire and respect, who is tremendously accomplished. Uh, he's been top CIO 100 award winner with enterprise application integration, and he was the number one. He's CIO that absolutely loved technology innovation and continuous improvement in that space. How can we take from current to the future technologies? And also, how can we navigate all the changes that is happening? He is working with Fortune 100. Um, leaders. He is helping not only Silicon Valley across US and globally uh, with his innovative approaches. He's educator, a great friend and mentor. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have on today's call B. Lee Jones. Welcome, Lee. Well, it's glad to be here. I'm, I'm, I'm very flattered. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so, you're so kind. You're so humble. I'm absolutely glad to have you. Um, for listeners and viewers that actually are tuning in, um, Lee and I know each other for quite some time. And the beauty of the LinkedIn and virtualization and networking way before actually we have to do everything virtually, we connected, we engaged, and then we talked, and we even met on one of my trips to Bay Area and remained very close in touch, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, well, you, you, you have a certain advantage since you live back in my home state. I, you know, I was born and raised in Denver and mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, interesting that your office, when I found out your new address, I figured out that you actually could look across Cherry Creek and Spur Boulevard and look at where I went to high school. Yes, uh, that was very interesting. It was the best high school, gorgeous building, and then the Rocky Mountain Range uh, when I was uh, uh, more uh, doing my business locally down in downtown Denver before the COVID happened and all the crazy changes. Since now everything has been kind of shut down and locked down, it's not anymore as enticing, right? But, uh, <laughs> but not at um, all. And I'm sure it's the same thing. You're having a, a, quite a bit of bottles in this year in Bay Area. Oh my goodness, from fires to economic shifts and downturns to shutdowns. So do you mind just telling a little bit about um, uh, some of the, uh, first of all, current situation, what is happening in Bay Area and what prompts you to move from Colorado? And of course, anything you want to share about Colorado and, and <laughs> Denver. Okay, well, I'll, gi I'll give you a little bit of a status update. You know, uh, everybody around the country has been involved in lockdowns and you go from one stage to another. Well, we're about in the, in the Bay Area about to go back down to uh, another stage that's gonna be even more prohibitive. In fact, uh, the governor has initiated a curfew 
so that no one should be on the streets uh, after 10 p.m. or before 5 a.m. So wow. that's that, that's part of it. Uh, some additional restrictions and and or suggestions for Thanksgiving. You know, not to travel, not to have large groups, uh, no hugging and kissing. I thought was kind of an interesting thing. That's that's going to be a little hard at uh, Thanksgiving, but uh, yeah. no, we've been we've been back in that in that mode, and also we're still, you know, once we got past the fires uh, during during the main uh, thrust of the fires, uh, uh, our our electric supplier was shutting off electricity to certain areas. Oh my goodness. Because they were concerned uh, with storms that it might affect the electrical and start fires because uh, they actually have been involved, their equipment with actually starting some of the fires that were associated uh, around the area in the past. So, in addition to being at home, you could also be at home and not have any power. And wow. And given the fact that we're all working remote and everything, you know, that's, that's had a, a serious impact with a lot of people. Wow. I didn't know so much about that. I knew that in California was anyway too much during the summertime due to heat waves, electricity problematic because it was just too much of usage and very little supply. And, and there were some blackouts and whatnot. But uh, with the fires, with the smoke, with uh, now COVID, with uh, all of that, I'm, I'm sure you guys are tremendously affected in the Bay Area also economically. Do you mind just sharing a little bit? Because I'm seeing, yes, a lot of major companies are having their employees working from home and you've been in technology space. Some stuff you can do, yes, virtual and computer. <laughs> but, but, but again, it's like, uh, how, how is everything going from that standpoint? I feel like everything's kind of crumbling in a way. Well, it's kind of, it's, uh, you know, as you might imagine, very challenging. You know, I, uh, prior to the COVID incident, a lot of the major companies around here have been building large campuses to yes. accommodate a bunch of people that are going to be working for them. Facebook has a large campus that they've been expanding. Apple just finished the space station headquarters. Mm -hmm. uh, Salesforce has this beautiful high-rise tower in San Francisco, yes. and yet a number of these companies uh, have already announced that they're going to have extended shutdowns, that even if, you know, things get better and we have a vaccine and everything like that, that they're going to extend uh, the work from home through at least the middle of 2021. Mm. And some of uh, some of the uh, governing bodies are taking advantage of some of the circumstances too. You know, one of the one of the good things that's perceived by a lot of people here is the fact that uh, with people working from home, the traffic in the Bay Area is decidedly a lot better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, surprise, and you, surprise. And, 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 and you know how bad that could be. Well, yes. the, other good, the other good thing is if you don't have all those cars on the road, then the pollution levels mm -hmm. are much lower. Mm -hmm. Now, the flip side of that is uh, you're not generating any revenue from gasoline Yes. for those cars that are not now driving. 
And so a couple of the transit authorities are trying to get a law or, you know, at least a, a policy in place so that companies larger than 25 or 50 people, I don't think they've decided on it quite yet, uh, are going to be required to have 60% of their workforce work from home forever. So that uh, basically, you know, if, if you have a company of 25 people, three days a week, they have to work from home. Very, very interesting how they're looking also not only um, for environment purposes, right? And, uh, but also social economically to support that. It's a multi-fold, multi-approach uh, multi multi to solution that I think uh, was coming based on what we were seeing, what is happening in that area, right? Yeah, and also they're, you know, they're looking at tax, how, changing taxes and things, you know, uh, before they were getting enough taxes from gasoline to take care of roads and everything. Now, since they're not getting that revenue, and since there was a big push, you know, for electric cars, you know, even if there were more cars on the road, if they're all electric, you're not getting revenue from gas. So they're looking instead of, or in addition to a tax on gasoline, having a tax on mileage so that you have to report, you know, the miles that you drive and then you will get taxed for that particular amount of miles that you travel. So they're trying to make up for that revenue. Very, very interesting. So a lot of new trends, obviously, uh, and some of those are obviously overall citywide, statewide. Um, but I'm curious, um, beside these now campuses being empty also for those large companies and people working from home, do you think like things are slowing down in the Bay Area or do you think that still uh, speeding up with technology, with changes, with improvements, uh, because of the of the other elements so that it's more time, specifically in tech space, obviously, because everybody's kind of keeping an eye on Silicon Valley, right? It's like, what is happening? Right. Uh, well, the, the, the figures show that they're, you know, the hiring, hiring is going up. Okay. Uh, you, you know, that there are more people being employed. Uh, that's really more related to, I think, the high-tech industries, you know, which already are, you know, geared up for the working from home, but it's, you know, it's been a killer for small businesses. Uh, you know, they've been shut down uh, literally for months. So they still have an obligation to pay their rent. And, you know, if they have to lay off employees and everything. So, you know, I think they've been disproportionately hurt by all of this because, you know, the, the restrictions, you know, keep them from doing business. You know, we have a little donut shop, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a family run place that was shut down for a long time that only recently, you know, were able to go get donuts. Uh, the lady who's been my barber for years, you know, same thing, uh, the nail salon. You know, those independent little businesses have been hurt because, you know, they've literally been shut down with no revenue, with no, you know, supplemental kinds of funds that are coming coming in. And, you know, they're, they're being hurt. And now, 
the electrical people are, are kind of interesting because, you know, I, I, I mentioned, you know, they're shutting down power. Yeah. Also, also, you know, because of the limited amount of power available, you know, we had shutdowns before this, you know, where there was limited capacity. And now the latest, the latest thing that's come up is we got a notice that because of our excessive electrical use, we're going to have to pay a premium. Wow. You know, be, because, <laughs> because we have to stay at home and work and use our electricity from home, we're going to have to pay a premium on our electrical usage. Wow. I, I mean, in a sense, kind of, uh, I can see why they're doing that because a lot of businesses, even though they're shut down, they, they, they're on the electrical maintenance usage uh, versus, right. and, and, and I can see how that flipped and the revenues need to come from somewhere, right? And, right. Uh, and if it's increased, uh, I'm sure peak hours and all the crazy stuff, things you never thought you're gonna see, at least in this modern time, right? Um, some things that maybe you saw earlier on in maybe 60s or 70s, but definitely not in, uh, in 2020. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and you're spot on because I was around in the 60s and 70s to see that. So, you know, uh, you're absolutely correct. It's, uh, uh, I think, again, to put on my CIO hat, you know, I yeah. think it's I think going forward, it's going to still be a challenge because, you know, you have to support these people working from home. And how do you keep track of their software updates, their security, how much bandwidth they have at home to be able to do what we're doing, you know, to have video meetings when, by the way, their children are also at home using video meetings to do their schooling. So now you're talking about this huge increased band, bandwidth and how does an IT organization support that? How do they handle those remote calls for small things where we used to be able to say, oh yeah, go down, you know, uh, this person <laughs> on the third floor, you know, yeah. in that office has a problem, you can go fix it in five minutes. Very, uh, very true. You know, you can't do that anymore. How do you make sure that everybody's upgrades get in place when you have to have a certain level of the operating system? And most of all, what about security? Exactly. That's where I was going to <laughs> What about security? Because now we're using our own devices or multiple devices and different access and our own cell phones, right? And whatnot. And then kids are also there and multiple, not only just the usages, but sharing different things. It's like, wow, definitely easier way to breach um, security walls, right? And you know, the bad guys know that. <laughs> As right. they say, everybody everybody finds the ways and opportunity uh, for better or worse to thrive in in situations like this. And I'm hearing a lot of breaches actually start already happening, and specific financial industries are being targeted and whatnot. So, what do you see from that standpoint? What what enterprises are doing in terms of um, preventing or at least buckling up and anticipating some of those breaches? Well. Well, I have a number of friends in the cybersecurity, uh, you know, space, and we talk 
a lot about that. I also have a daughter that works for a cybersecurity software company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what's happening now is a bit more of a focus change from the corporate security, which has been pretty steady. But now, since you have individuals working from home, uh, now we're into that PAM space, the personal access manage. You know, what kind of software do you have that you can deploy that will guarantee or at least, you know, uh, somewhat guarantee the security of devices you have from your employees who are working from home? You know, it's a, it's a different focus. That didn't used to be a problem because before everybody was at a desktop, you had servers internally, you had a protected firewall and everything. That's fine, but it's different when all of a sudden you're you're working from home and you have a Wi-Fi and you have kids who are in school and people who are on their cell phones and everything. I mean, you're in a much more vulnerable position. So, you know, a lot of work is being focused more in those areas, mm. you know, towards the individual kind of security and less so in corporate because especially now since people aren't using corporate, uh, you know, requirements um, uh, to do their jobs, you know, that's been always somewhat under control. And now you're starting to see some of those places where larger places that have some vulnerabilities being attacked, Uh, notably healthcare. A lot of healthcare facilities uh, have been falling, you know, prey to ransomware, and even worse, um, I've talked to some of my people uh, uh, in cybersecurity. You know, particularly, uh, I'm on it. I'm I'm part of the InfraGrid, InfraGuard team that works with the FBI. Uh, I have friends at Interpol. We're seeing cases where people are facilities, institutions are getting attacked with ransomware. They pay the ransomware and then they get attacked again. Yes, yes. And doesn't stop or, or, or just the attack comes from different angle or from different group or, or even same group doesn't guarantee that the safety or that they're going to stop and question it is what should we do? Uh, and I love what you just mentioned for our listeners, viewers that are not so much in technology, but would like to provide prevent or at least be more aware of personal use, you spot on, we're spending way, way more on computers. We're spending way, way more downloading different applications and working on on so many different things, right? So even our own uh, infrastructure, our own devices are very prone to um, all these issues that you're talking about, let alone the larger enterprises, because if I'm logging in in companies, you know, portal, but while I'm also using everything else, it's it's easy. I'm I'm already giving a lot of opportunity for someone to attack, right? Absolutely. So, so with, with what you were just said, even with the repeated like large enterprises that are getting even FBI involved. Um, what would you suggest? I mean, from small to the large enterprises, what do you see something that is effective, that is working very well, or at least should be taken consideration as mass have mass do thing? Well, for, you know, for a starter, you need to have, you know, virus uh, ransomware protection software 
on each individual device and make sure that it's updated, okay? That will somewhat insulate you a little bit from the outside. Then you have to be concerned about your own internal network because you'll have devices, I mean, uh, my house is <laughs> I, I don't even ask how many computers do you have and in which rooms and, and how big is your network <laughs> well uh, I, I, I and, and what technology do you use I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid that's secret and if I told you I'd have to kill you <laughs> well actually no, we have quite a number of devices you know I, I'm um, not surprised uh, <laughs> uh, because my daughter and my son-in-law, you know, have been living with us. And as I mentioned, my daughter works for a cybersecurity software company and she is, you know, she's been working from home, uh, since day one, you know, before this even started, uh, since I do, you know, my consulting business, you know, I'm on, you know, zoom calls like this, you know, with, with people all the time, you know, yesterday, uh, I'm working with the startup that the two founders are in Berlin, one's German, one's Dutch. The other founder is in Jakarta, Indonesia. Their development team is in Taiwan. And, wow. and they're... <laughs> Talk and they're about time zones. Talk about language <laughs> and confusion. Is it? And, <laughs> and, the, and their corporate legal counsel is in London. So, wow. so, so when we do a call, figuring out the right time, you know, for everybody, and it usually means that I'm on pretty early in the morning, but I'm used to that because, you know, when I was a CIO, well, for example, when, when I got the CIO 100 award for the project that uh, I did the integration for our company, that project involved integrating six enterprise applications with middleware across a wide area network that supported 56 offices from eight data centers on five continents across 22 time zones. Mm -hmm. Okay, I brought that project up three and a half months ahead of schedule and $8 million under budget. You know, wow. so, <laughs> and, wow. uh, and I traveled a lot because, you know, on, on the one hand, you know, I'm new school. Well, and in fact, in particular, because I just finished my MBA with an MB emphasis in data science a little over a year ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've been very involved with the new technologies and everything. I mean, uh, you all, all the time learning and I see so many certificates and I see so many new things and I'm so impressed because you veteran in a a CIO space and a lot of times people feel like when they get to that level to be CIOs and play with the big boys that people just stop learning in a way or slow down and you don't you continue to teach at universities you continue to uh, stretch imagination, showing what's possible. You definitely don't like status quo. Uh, <laughs> and, and I am really, I want to just pause for a second for everybody. Guys, I was like, when people say it's too late, I'm already in my 30s or 40s or 50s. No, it's not. It's only late if you think it's late and it's just a truly honestly mindset, right? Well, and uh, Forbes did a study uh, about two years ago uh, yeah. looking, looking at the success of startup companies 
And yeah. they, de they determined that startups that had founders who were 60 years of age and older were four times as successful as any other uh, founder age group. So. Wow, yeah. that is amazing statistic, guys. I, I hope I hope that not all of us have to wait to that age group <laughs> to prove it. <laughs> I, I would be happy to be twice as successful or triple <laughs> instead of quadruple, well, but okay, I will take it. I will take it. <laughs> well, it, it was it was kind of fascinating when I did my MBA program. Uh, I was at least twice as old and sometimes three times as old as the other students. Wow. And I and I graduated and I graduated and I graduated first in the class, summa cum laude. Wow. So I love what you just pointed out, dispelling the age limitation, age discrimination. Uh, also putting the cap and ceiling, can we learn when, what will be quote unquote return of investment on your MBA or, or your PhD degree or whatever might be, or desire to go in completely new industry or reinvent yourself or pivot. Because right now what I'm seeing and, and what I'm hearing, majority of people are pivoting like crazy. The ones that actually know A, what pivoting is and how should they pivot in order to not only survive this craziness, but also be able to thrive. And then I'm also seeing people that are just like putting the lid and they're like, I'm gonna just stick with what I already know and they're just doing this repetitive mundane thing but even that is changing even oh, that yeah. environment if like even if you are just in you know hospitality industry right now up here in the mountains in summit county and i'm looking you know what vale is doing vale resorts and all of these uh, gorgeous places it, it's like even coming and showing up for work and customer service from masks uh -oh. to check-ins to uniforms to all these exits like it's not just that uh, you know, cool college, post-college, before college, during the college job that you just uh, go in and make maybe $17, $20 per hour. It's it, it just so much more expected and needed now, even for that, you know, bare minimum that uh, I keep saying, if you're already investing so much to check all these boxes, invest just a tad more or, and then more and create something even more important for yourself. Yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. It, it, it's interesting. You mentioned Vail Resorts. The CIO at Vail Resorts is a very old and dear friend of mine. Really? But, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I think I that's think... that calls for another conversation privately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I think I think I think if there's something that I take particular pride in, you know, that and we've talked about it is what I do is integration. You know, that's what I, got, what I got the CIO 100 award for, but it's because I take pride in being knowledgeable, if not an expert in the existing technology, but also being an expert in the new technology, but most importantly, in being the expert in knowing how to move from that, the old technology to the new technology. And, you know, I've, I've built a very long and successful career doing that. You know, I work with basically now companies that are in transition, you know, either startup companies that are about to do an IPO and they don't realize all the implications of what it takes to do an IPO. 
uh, I was the Sarbanes-Oxley chair for the American Electronics Association for, for Rule 404 for Sarbanes-Oxley. I mean, I know. Ooh, yeah. I, that, the bylaws and the regulations that are how many thousands and thousands page long? Wow. Right. And, and I was also, uh, because of that position, I was the technical liaison to the ITEL, ISO, and COVID Standards Committee in Geneva. So I developed the first matrix that related the Sarbanes-Oxley standards to COVID, ITEL, and ISO. So that's why, that, that's why I get called in to do things internationally. You know, especially a, a medium-sized company in transition that wants to expand internationally. Uh, well, guess what? I've built or enhanced a data center in every continent on Earth, except Antarctica. <laughs> and and I have friends at NOAA, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, so, so I'm actually I'm actually working on that. I'd like to be able to, you know, check off and say I'm every continent on earth, including Antarctica. So that is brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And for everybody, again, who listening and watching this, guys, that don't understand that when you have the Top Gun regulating, regulating body trying now to come up with regulations, not only verbally, legally, but also with ways to track, to manage, to use the metrics and analytics. This is as raw and real and a shotgun kind of approach because this is unfolding, right? You're not prepared necessarily, but who do you call? You call Top Guns. And right now we're speaking with one. <laughs> and I just want you to see the difference here in aptitude and attitude and desire. And just that, again, curiosity. I always loved your passion and curiosity. And when you're curious about things you truly love and care, age and everything else, it's no limit. No, no, not at all. No, I remember back when we first started doing Sarbanes-Oxley that, you know, one of the one of the big things was that the senior officer for the company and the senior financial officer had to sign the results for Sarbanes-Oxley that they were accurate. And I remember the meeting I had with the board of directors, in particular, the chairman of the board and the CFO, and they said, Lee, you know, can, you know, can we sign these? And I said, I'll be glad, I'll be glad to sign my name right underneath yours. And I did, even though at the time CIOs weren't required to do that. Uh, I actually put my signature below theirs to authenticate that those results were true and accurate. That is very powerful. That is, again, because and always we're pioneering in something every year, every decade, every um, century has these major, major breakthroughs. And right now, um, why I wanted to also have this conversation with you is things that's going almost like in speed of lightning in a way, right? It's just uh, either we're ready or not, things are still happening and they're all constantly on question it is now when do we make a decision which for my consulting coaching and advising it's like when is the time actually to transform or transfer 
into new technology space. Uh, where are the gaps? Where are the overlaps? How to do effectively? How often we have to do it? Because as you know, it's so hard to get people on board and willing to do the change, right? But also the, get in sync because if so many people have a different opinions. You have too many cooks in the kitchen. So, <laughs> so and specifically when you deal with highly regulated legal legal uh, entities, like in your scenario with this example that you were just sharing, um, so do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Because you, you, it's different when you're just dealing with the technology, but I really remember from, uh, and it still is like huge gap. It's like, Isabella, do you know how to speak IT and technology? And do you know how to speak business? And then like, you know, and you bridge. And, and, and now I feel like that bridge is just getting longer and longer because gap is getting bigger and bigger. Is it just yeah. my perception based on some, uh concepts and some real examples and scenarios that i experienced with with my in my world um but i'm just curious how is it coming from your perspective well no i think i think that's very fairly accurate I, as as systems and everything get more complex well anyway uh, uh, as a cio i've always said a cio is responsible for three things okay the first is technology you know, CIO is the guardian of the gates for technology, helping decide, you know, new technology, when to, you know, obsolete old technology and everything. So first thing is technology. And from my perspective, that's the easy part. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, se <laughs> the, the second part is the CIO has to deal with people. Okay. What? What? Really? Not just the computers and technology? I'm teasing. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, rem remember I mentioned that project that yes. in included all those offices? Yes, and all around the world, Dur countries, time zones, yes. During the time leading up to and through the finality of that project, I visited every one of those offices. I met with wow. as many people at every one of those offices as I could from the general manager down to the lady who gave out parts in the warehouse. Because I wanted to know what their feelings were about what we were doing, if they needed help, give them some perspective on why we were doing it and how this was going to benefit. So, you know, I literally met with every, well, unless they were on vacation or sick or something, you know, I literally tried to meet with all of those people at every single office around the world because so I'm, I'm, I'm a great believer in pressing flesh you know i yeah. think that i think that you can be more persuasive doing that well certainly i can more than i am <laughs> more than <laughs> more than no 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 don't say it <laughs> more than uh so you know that's kind of an old school thing you know, yeah. but but remember, I came from the old school, but I'm also trained in the new school. Yeah. So 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 my you know my hybrid. <laughs> yeah. So my 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 feelings are kind of tempered about that. Okay. So that's the second thing. The yes. third thing, and the hardest thing a CIO has to deal with is expectations. What? Oh, don't even get me going on that one. <laughs> you know, because it's the expectation of, you know, what what does the board of directors expect? What does executive management expect? 
what do the day-to-day managers expect? What does the lady who's handling the parts in the warehouse, what does she expect from a new system and everything? And that's, that's really the hardest thing to deal with, with being a CIO. Technology, easy. People, a little harder. Expectations, that's hard. That's hard. Even harder, you... even harder, absolutely. Accountability and responsibility and from whom and how, what I heard versus what I thought you know you were saying, et cetera, et cetera. You spot on. And 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 that's why it's such important in enterprises to have a very close relationship with the other side of the organization. So the not I often see IT is kind of on its own island and should not be and should be included so heavily with business and, and operations as well as sale and marketing. What are we promoting? What are we saying that we can do? How fast we're going to have something? Uh, what we're already implementing? Who are, you know, how do we calculate what's possible? Do we have a reasonable deadlines? Do we have infrastructure we need? Do we listen? You know, and I feel like a lot of times because of all these disconnects, that's where we create the most friction. And as you know, I fix people issues. So some stuff that <laughs> yes. I'm aware of on that number two and number three, it's like, what just happened here? So are we speaking all one language here? Okay, let's back up, you know, but um, that is definitely also a great example that even with robots and technology, artificial in intelligence, for example, machine learning and all of that, certain things can be automated but still cannot replace human touch and human aspects of the work. Would Amen. you agree with that? Amen. No, absolutely agree. You know, and setting the expectation and keeping people informed. One of the first things I did uh, back when I was at Stratix, where I got the award, was I, I put together a matrix. We had each of, each of the respective divisions and their vice president had KPIs that they were responsible for during the year. So across the top, I had all the vice presidents, all their KPIs. Then across, going across, I had all the IT projects and where they intersected the KPIs for those individual vice presidents. So if I talked to pro about a project, they knew that related to them accomplishing the KPIs, you know, uh, that they were assigned with. And you get everybody on board because then you're talking about a project and this is how it affects them. This is how it's gonna be benefit them. When we started doing capital projects, uh, I'm, I'm an insane project planner, as you know, and, <laughs> And I would put together, you know, uh, a, a, a stack of presentation, you know, with all the details for a project. And some other VPs would come in with a one-page kind of description of something. And the board decided that I should be the chairman of the capital committee, since I had the best perspective for the detail and everything associated with defining and getting prepared for uh, accepting or rejecting a project. So as, wow. the as a technologist, I became a financial guy. I became head of the capital committee to be able uh, to make sure that 
people, well, not exactly to the level of detail that I do, but to a far greater detail could talk about, okay, this is what it is, what it's gonna do, how long it'll take. Uh, these are, you know, the possible limitations. And if we have to Risk, do this, this yeah, financial implications, losses, all of those crazy stuff. But that is beautiful. What you just said that you're not just the typical CIO. You also have you're very business savvy. You're very financially savvy. You know, the cause and effect. I love this because I, I remember first time when I was learning about strategy, when I was playing chess and going in elementary school <laughs> and later on in high school, always they said every everything has a cause and effect, effect of the event, you know, but what truly did cause, you have to know, you now have to be able to depict and more knowledge than you more a larger asset for organization and having this multiple hats mentality and seeing things from multiple perspective, very few people really do have. And, and I think that is very valid and important right now also for listeners of yours to pause for a second to think about it. it's like we cannot just think about it as we remember sitting around C-suite and everybody pitching their own thing why they want to do with X, Y, and Z, but yet they will not go beyond and cross over to see how it's going to impact the sale department, how is this impacting operation, how is it going to impact finance, how is it going to impact whatever, remote workers, and, and, and that arrogance we can't afford anymore that got us in trouble way before COVID and is going to continue to get us in trouble because we're seeing so many mistakes that by now golly we should not have them because we have such insanely smart and capable talent right yes yeah uh leadership <laughs> what's that <laughs> yeah well yeah, well, that yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, too often that's that's a problem because too many people, too many companies say, "What is that?" But that's something that's necessary. I mean, and sometimes it's small. I mean, that matrix of KPIs versus IT projects uh, was like an epiphany for the company. Now all of the vice presidents understood how individual projects affected their KPIs to get them done and everything. And then they had skin in the game. But when, even on our eyes, when, when do we gonna see return on investment of something of that magnitude that will take two, three, five years? And then is it gonna be returned before we have to go to second version or completely new technology again? Or is, you see what I mean? I feel like one fiasco puts people very timid because very rarely things go smooth. Uh, and then it's like, now we need to do it again. It's almost like opening old wounds and vulnerability and pain and people rather shut down and not do it. It's like that you can't afford that either. You can't so, afford that either. Now that's why it pays to do, to do it right the first time or is right. And that means you got to plan, plan, plan. You know, uh, if you fail to plan, then you should plan to fail. You know, that's why that's why I'm, you know, so passionate about having all the details to a project and making sure that, you know, everything's taken care of. I look at the consequences, look at the alternatives for everything, and it's very detailed, but I usually get it pretty much right the first time. You know, if, if you uh, throw it over the wall, uh, 
you know, you're doomed to fail. So very true. And you mentioned really big word here, obviously leadership. We're on the Legacy Leaders Show. And one of the things I just want to ask you, if you don't mind, what do you see? I know we have a gap in leadership. I know we have lack of uncountability and responsibility and we and that also those are things or, or decision making or or how things are following through or not and what I mean just in general but what do you see it's one of the biggest opportunity obviously from the leadership standpoint specific right now obviously beside upscaling and and getting more skill sets that uh, we can navigate this complexity better what would you say from C-suite that uh, you play in and I play in? What would, what would okay. be your perspective? Okay, well, being being a little selfish here. Please. You know, what, uh, you know, what I do is I'm a, an interim or a fractional C-level person. You know, uh, a startup company that's going IPO can't exactly afford or do they need a CIO of my level continuously. But there's a point in time that they they need that uh, a medium-sized company that's going to diversify internationally needs somebody who's been there done it got the t-shirt speaks the language knows the people uh, but do they need that person you know ongoing no they don't but for three months or six months or whatever they need uh, you know I shouldn't say that. Uh, they, they need a, a very experienced person who's already done that. And it's even better if they have a very experienced person like they can, like that, that they can bring in who can help mentor their existing staff who are going to be continuing. You know, uh, I go in as, you know, uh, an, an interim CIO, but I've got an IT director there. And part of my job, from my perspective, is not only to make sure that I get this project done, but that I can hand the ball off to this IT director and they understand, they know how to keep, keep it going. They know everything, they're involved in the process and everything. So leadership and being able to mentor to the next generation that's gonna uh, continue. Uh, that's always been my objective with doing that. I don't just come in, you know, parachute in, you know, do a project and leave. Uh, you know, I involve myself with the executive staff to get to handle their expectations, mm -hmm. but also to be able to know that there's an organization, not just a single IT director, but that that IT director, IT director is going to have an organization and I often you know work with company on doing that and putting together an organization that they need to support that and being able to mentor that down. Right now, if you don't bring in somebody who's very experienced like that, you have a pe people that have never done this before, they're gonna make mistakes and they may not even have the resources and people to be able to do it and to sustain it. Um, it's, you know, it, you know, the expression. The risks are higher and stakes are higher. Uh, and, and specifically, they're not often calculated correctly, right? So having those frank conversation, understanding what we're dealing with, because how often we have wrong team or wrong people assigned or even fixing the wrong problem, we're thinking this is what's needed in reality, it's something completely different. 
Well, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm experienced enough and everything so that I can say no. You know, yes, yes is a, a, a coward's answer because you never have to explain yes, right? Can you do this project? Yes. Can you do this project? No. But no, because of one, two, three, or hell no, because of one, <laughs> two, three, four, five. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I've been there, done that. You know, I'm not afraid to do that. And sometimes, you know, you got to fall on your sword, but I've done that too. And, and I love what you just said also, because a lot of times people will oversell and under deliver. And I'm seeing this huge trend and that people think nobody's watching. And I'm like more than ever because of economic downturn, of social media, of all of those stuff, you don't want to be labeled as a one of those enterprises or organizations or leaders that are doing that. And I feel like it's just a huge, again, opportunity to reassess as like, what are we doing? What kind of business we're in? And what standards and values we are not negotiating on, as yeah. well as, you know, how we're going to go about it. I think it, yeah. it's more than ever calling. I feel like two things are lacking so much, bringing back ethics and leadership into business and organization. That's Amen. my take on it. Yeah, well, and, you know, and there's the economic perspective, you know, there's the old saying, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, just wait and see how much it costs if you hire an amateur. Very, very true. Very, very true. So, so you've been around the block, as they say, a million times over. <laughs> <laughs> and you did so much. So I'm curious, what is left in your bucket list, Lee? I mean, not only professionally, personally, but I feel like I, I know it's in there so much that you want to do. And I'm just curious, what, what do you anticipate and what are you aiming at and what are you looking forward to it uh, to still make it happen? Well, uh a lot of people my age have retired, right? Uh, I still love what I do. Uh, what I would like to continue doing is still being that fractional C-level person and being able to help companies of all kinds of sizes because, you know, I like doing that stuff. You know, I like putting together projects. I like being a mentor. Uh, so... You know, um, looking for the next success. That's fantastic. So you're looking for next great project that is going to get you all in and be able to make a magic happen. Like, obviously, you always do. And with your track record, that is uh, amazing. So anybody watching, listening, this is also a great mindset because a lot of times we have a choices. But if if we're not ready just to chill or park as I, I call it retirement. I was like, just park, and being on parking lot. I'm like, no, uh, let's go. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. <laughs> right. right? Uh, it, it is fantastic. So um, I'm, I'm yeah, really looking forward and, to hearing about those next projects. Well, you know, and I don't have any ego tied up in doing this. Very you know, I've, I, I, I've, I've accomplished a lot of things. I've done a lot of things. I've been everywhere i've met you know a lot of people and everything but i wanted to continue you know my only ego is tied up in doing a good job for who i'm working with and working for yes yes i can see absolutely that and i can attest to that based on my experience so <laughs> that's fantastic so lee 
I know you you contributed over 30 plus years, not only from your life, life and early passion that, that you discover uh, in technology space. I, if I recall from our previous conversation was when, like, when you were 16 some years old, right? Yes. And that, and that never died. And I'm curious, you know, you already made an amazing legacy for yourself and uh, personally and professionally, but I'm curious, um, what would you like to be your legacy to be when you now with all this wisdom and experience look and pause back and say, I was like, this will be really something that I would love to pass on to future generations. What that would Well, well I, I, I would like a lot of people to think that, you know, that I made a positive difference when I was here, you know, to a lot of things, to a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of different people. You absolutely did. And I, again, I'm first one to say, even though for, you know, I don't know you all your life, but for the part of the years that I do know you, you absolutely did make tremendous difference and impact in mine. So um, that that is definitely there. So thank you. Thank you for aiming uh, to make an impact and make a difference in everything you do, specifically in very challenging times and also very challenging space to navigate. Indeed. Indeed. Think outside the box. I've never been inside the box, so I don't know what that, that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise, I remember, I think I even discussed that with you. I Coming from Europe, that concept of the boxes, I was like, are you kidding me? I don't, it didn't even know what that means, let alone how to relate when I learned the meeting, because like, this doesn't have nothing to do with me. I was never in that mindset. Why should I now even start thinking and approaching that? So right now, I really think it's time to change the analogy or actually come up with something that is just, uh, again, um, letting us to explore and innovate and fail and correct and improve and, and, and keep going, right? Indeed, you know, uh, I pride myself when, you know, I'm meeting with clients and everything and particularly prospective clients and saying, I can make a difference to your organization the first day I walk in the door. Mm. The very first day, because uh, you really don't have to teach me much of anything. You know, I've already done a lot of this stuff technology people and expectations so i can start making a difference for you the very first day i walk in your door that is impressive that is actually very very powerful if if yeah if you guys are listening when you get to this point then when you don't need to depend on onboarding and all this crazy stuff and navigating politics when you know how to really deal with everything across organization you know you nailed it <laughs> oh yeah well and 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 one of the things you know there's always the expression you know if you're the smartest guy in the room you're in the wrong room uh I'm not embarrassed to be the smartest guy in the room. Somebody has to be the smartest guy in the room. And I want to work very hard, understanding the old technology, the new technology and how to get there uh, from the old to the new. I want to be the smartest guy in the room. I pride myself on being the smartest guy in the room. 
because you will not let anything, you have a holistic approach and you will not have a blind spot. You're not leaving anything for the error or for, for not con to be considered. And, and that is very, very important right now because I see risk alone already outside in the world already tremendously high. And we're not calculating, we're not paying attention to those KPIs, ROIs and solving the right problems and doing what is needed, not just because we want it or because we know it. Uh, I see also a lot of times tasks are done and processes that, that are just because, you know, on autopilot, because we always done it this way, but is it truly needed right now? Is it necessary? And why we're doing it? Who is really benefiting from it? How much time it's allocated to that? Yeah, and that's, magical that's... data and magical data, right? And then one thing Absolutely. I would just want to make sure we touch on because we touch on security, we touch about technology improvements, changes and integrations in new environments. But right now with the data, I still, I'm still puzzled to see how many enterprises are not even remotely collecting what they should be collecting consistently, let alone analyzing. And I knew we were talking about analytics and then anticipating projecting based on really knowing what is going on. Oh yeah, I mean, your, your data, your intellectual property, that's who your company is. And what do you see in terms of that? Is it accurate to say that very few companies on top of the game and, and collecting right data and utilizing data to help them a to make a decisions to get a better pulse of organization their customers the patterns etc cetera, etc cetera. well i think the collection processes has gotten better okay. uh you know the advent of cloud storage so that you know you have a way to store large amounts of data that do doesn't affect your internal infrastructure okay so the data storage that's gotten better the data analytics still a long way to go. I mean, you got a lot of data. How do you start? How do you analyze all this, especially as you accumulate more? Yes. Then the analytics becomes very, very complicated. That's when we start getting into machine learning and you know, uh, you know the the data science aspect of the analytics. And lastly, security to make sure it's secure. If it's with the cloud vendor that you know that they have the right protections, or if it's still internal data that you have the proper security to do it, you know you gotta you gotta save it, analyze it, and secure it. And then from there, make a right decision. It is for internal C-suite decision making to see what's working, what should we do more of it, right? And what is not working and then understanding why, not just the generic anticipated answer, but truly concrete, very specific, uh, because we can go now in such a depth and then really get it uh, on the bottom of it. And I think that is a huge, huge opportunity. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've always prided myself, you know, on that, uh, that third aspect of expectations. I've yeah. always prided myself in coming in, meeting those expectations and setting the bar higher. So Absolutely. People, and exceeded them. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, uh, I had a boss that, who was the CFO who, when he did my annual report every year, uh, he always used to tell me, that he was always amazed that even though the bar got set higher every year, that I continued to jump over it. Mm. That made me very proud because he was a very detailed uh, uh, 
guy who had very high expectations and I was able to keep raising those expectations and exceeding them. Um, you know, that's, that's what I take, you know, uh, that's what feeds my ego, doing the right thing for the company. That is wonderful. Uh, and, and, and we should be taking pride, not only on our accomplishments uh, and how make us feel, obviously, to make us desire to do more and be more, but also to really see how much we change as a result outcomes for that organization and their customers or overall uh, snowballing effect on the global scene. So that is extremely powerful. It was absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And I just wanted to see, is there anything in closing that you would like to leave listeners and viewers with, um, not just as a CIO, obviously, and as somebody who is extremely technology savvy and expert in the industry, with things that are coming, the things that we're navigating, the hardships, the challenges, what would be uh, words of wisdom uh, for listeners and viewers that are struggling or unsure of where things are going or how should they position, what should they do? Well, uh, I, su I, I suppose when, when I look at uh, taking on a job, taking on a project or so, I have three criteria, okay? First criteria is, can the job be done? Because as you might uh, imagine, I get a lot of calls for what, what I would call Jesus jobs. <laughs> you know, for, for, I love it. <laughs> you know, for, 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 for jobs that are, you know. So artificial and out there and so ambiguous yet ridiculous expectation. I love it. Okay, Jesus jobs, yes. Okay, second criteria, can I do the job? Now, I'm pretty smart and pretty experienced, but if I'm not the right guy for the job, I'll tell you. You know, I talked to uh, a company about a month ago, and I said, you really need somebody who is used to high transaction internet commerce for, you know, for sales. I'm not your guy. Mm. Okay. Okay. Third. Do I want to do the job? And guess what? That's mostly about the people. That's mostly Very about, true. Who you will most, be working with, who are you going to be reporting, who is part of your team? Are they pain in the butt or they're, you know, savvy, smart, easy to get along with? Are they a great collaborator or not? Oh my goodness, you're so spot on. Yeah, so so you know, I I take that criteria, like I said, for for a job, for a project, and also the way I interact with my family, because that's really what's most important to me in the end, is my family. You know, uh, that's an effect on your on your time and quality of the, of the time with your family. Yeah, yeah, because you know, my legacy is my daughter. Wonderful. That is I mean, beautiful. I mean, I mean, and and I am so filled with pride that she is such a beautiful, talented, intelligent young lady, and you know, uh, I'm I'm that's the project I'm most proud of. 
That is fantastic. That is great advice. I, I have to say those three golden nuggets around accepting job projects or understanding why certain things don't work is look at those three components and then figure out why, why are you doing what you're doing? And just to say that, are you doing this for your beautiful daughter and passing on wisdom, knowledge, and having a great human in a world that continues to be in your footsteps and make a change. That is fantastic. Kudos.